0: Hi there, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and this is Last Week in the Church. Here's what we've got on today's menu. First, Pope Francis walks back his hard line on gay unions, or does he? Then, uh, the Vatican takes a big hit in a UK court. Critics cry foul on Germany's synodal path. A showdown looms in the Philippines and finally, of cultures and controversies. That's what's waiting for you on this menu, a meatless menu during Friday and Lent, but spicy nevertheless, so please stick around. All right. Uh, So uh, I want to remind you before we begin that uh, full coverage of all the stories we're going to talk about in the show today can be found on the Crux site. That is www.cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com, your one-stop shopping destination for the very best in smart, wired and independent Catholic journalism. Uh, If you go on the site, you will find we are in the middle of our online fundraising drive, and we would love to have your help. What we are looking for are people willing to make a small but stable monthly commitment for, say, the next year. Uh, That gives us predictability. It gives us the ability to make plans. We are not asking for much maybe just what you would spend on a couple cups of coffee or streaming a movie this month, I don't know, something modest, uh, but would make a world of difference to us. Also want to remind you that if you enjoy this show, please give us a thumbs up, give us a like, give us a share. Go on the social media platform of your choice and let people know. All right, so we begin this week with, did the Pope or did he not walk back his recent hard line on the blessing of same-sex unions. Let's set the table this way. So last week on this show, we discussed that the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, that is its doctrinal watchdog agency, put out a statement in response to a dubium, that is a formal question submitted to the congregation by a bishop or bishops somewhere in the world. They never tell us where or who. This question had to do with whether Catholic pastors can offer blessings basically to gay marriages. Uh, That is, when uh, two people of the same sex enter into a lifetime commitment to one another or stable relationship, Can a Catholic pastor bless that union? The answer given by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith was no, uh, on the grounds that Catholic teaching about marriage, classic Catholic teaching about marriage, says that marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman that is for life and that is open to new life, and it occurs within the context of the church's sacrament of marriage. Obviously, gay unions don't fulfill those requirements. This response was approved by Pope Francis. So it was reported around the world as Pope says no to blessing same-sex unions. Now, uh, that came out early last week. However, uh, last Sunday, uh, which was two days after you and I spoke last, Pope Francis gave an Angelus address. That's his traditional noontime address on Sundays. Uh, in which he talked about the proper pastoral attitude the church should have uh, to people, you know, who in various life situations. And what he said was, uh, number one, uh, that the wrong way to approach these people is with what he called theoretical condemnations. Uh, And then he said the wrong way is also claims of legalism and clerical moralism. Now, that was taken in a lot of quarters as the Pope sort of trying to distance himself from the doctrinal congregation's statement. Then, uh, early this week, uh, the Pope essentially re-upped all the current members of the Vatican's Pontifical Council for the Protection of Minors. That's the uh, Vatican Department Francis created in 2013 to sort of be the tip of the spear on reform in the clerical sexual abuse scandals. But uh, in addition to renewing everybody, uh, he also appointed a new member, Juan Carlos Cruz uh, of the nation of Chile. Now, Cruz famously is a victim of Chile's most notorious pedophile priest, Fernando Caradima. In addition to that, Cruz is also an openly gay man in a long-term, stable relationship with his partner. Uh, Francis is well aware of that. Uh, The two have discussed it at some length. Uh, And so the Pope's choice to appoint him to an important Vatican position was also read in some quarters as the Pope trying to distance himself from the hard line on blessing gay unions. Now, what are we to make of all of this? Well, look, I mean, one reading of it, and it's a popular one in some quarters of the media, uh, is that Pope Francis grudgingly went along with the Congregation for the Faith's desire to reaffirm longstanding Catholic teaching, but immediately wanted to find ways to put some distance between himself and that statement. Okay, uh, and that is a plausible interpretation. Another interpretation, however, uh, is that Pope Francis, in his own mind, sees no contradiction uh, among all of these things. That is, uh, he would clearly and emphatically affirm the church's traditional teaching on marriage. But as a pastor with long experience in the trenches, he would also clearly understand that lots of people are not going to live that ideal 100%. Uh, And the church still needs to show them compassion and respect and outreach and dignity. So that even if we can't technically bless something, we certainly can embrace the people in those situations pastorally in every way we possibly can. That, to me, is also uh, a plausible reading of the facts. Uh, Make of it what you will, but that's the situation. Pope Francis clearly Uh, has signed off on a reaffirmation of traditional teaching. He has also clearly advocated and practiced himself a kind of pastoral outreach that moves beyond that traditional teaching. All right. Secondly, the Vatican takes a big hit in a UK court. We have talked previously on this program about the London financial scandal that the Vatican has been facing in recent months. Basically, This involves the purchase of a a warehouse owned by the Harrods department store in the swanky, posh London neighborhood of Chelsea, drawing upon funds uh, that came from Peter's Pence. That's the annual collection around the world from ordinary Catholics to support papal activities and that was engineered by the Vatican's Secretariat of State. Uh, this scandal blew up uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, it became clear that there was something hinky uh, about the way in which these, uh, these purchases were made uh, and the way in which the Secretary of State had kind of insisted on an emergency loan from the Vatican Bank to try to finance the deal. Uh, now, what uh, Vatican prosecutors have tried to suggest... Uh, is that two Italian financiers, uh, one who was involved in the initial purchase of 50% of this property and another who was involved in an attempt to purchase the remaining 50%, that both of them essentially defrauded the Vatican, pulled the wool over the eyes uh, of officials at the Secretary of State, uh, overcharged for their brokerage fees on the transactions, and essentially were running a con. Uh, the Vatican recently requested that uh, courts in the United Kingdom seize the funds of one of these financiers, John Torzi, uh, who, uh, whose base is in London, uh, and essentially hand him over for prosecution. Recently, a court, uh, a judge uh, in the UK examined uh, these allegations ordered Torzi's funds unfrozen, that is, restored to him, denied uh, any request for prosecution, said there were such omissions and misrepresentations in the filings by Vatican prosecutors that it raised questions, serious questions, uh, as to whether there was actually any criminal offense here. Here's what this judge really had a problem with, and frankly, it ought to bother Vatican prosecutors too. His problem, the judge said, was that every contract that authorized payment to Torsi was approved by Venezuelan Archbishop Edgardo Peñapada and Italian Cardinal Pietro Perolin. Those are the top two officials at the Vatican Secretary of State. They reviewed these contracts, they approved them, they signed them. So if there was anything irregular going on, according to this judge, it wasn't a con being run by Torzi, but it was either a mistake in judgment or a criminal act by the senior leadership of the Vatican Secretariat of State. In other words, this judge has now put the ball back in the Vatican's court. What he is saying is that if there is something criminal here, it isn't the problem of the financier who simply honored his contract, It's the problem of the guys who approved and signed those contracts. Remains to be seen whether the Vatican's criminal justice system will pursue that suggestion with any kind of criminal inquiry or ultimately charges against the top two officials of the Secretary of State who, among other things, signed the paychecks of the prosecutors and judges involved in this process. Uh, All right, third, critics cry foul on Germany's synodal process. Uh, Two years ago, uh, the Catholic Church in Germany announced that it was going to launch not a synod, which is a formal canonical process under church law that comes with its own rules, but a synodal process that is a widespread consultation of bishops, clergy, religious, and laity in Germany to try, uh, try to chart a way forward from the damage imposed on the church in Germany by the clerical sexual abuse scandals, which have been almost as intense in Germany as any place in the world. Maybe you could make an argument for Ireland being more intense, maybe, maybe Chile, maybe the United States, uh, but certainly Germany would be in the top five. Uh, and the, the idea of this all process was to try to figure out how the church can recover the, the kind of pastoral capacity, the moral authority that had been lost as a result of the abuse scandals. So this uh, highly intricate and lengthy senatal process was adopted, and it is now rolling out, ready to make. Uh, they're closing in on their final recommendations. Uh, and it turns out that the senatorial process has addressed a wide, wide range uh, of issues in the church, such as the role of women and the possibility of women's ordination, uh, Catholic teaching on homosexuality and gay marriage, uh, the the power that laity ought to have in the church, the power that that other players ought to have in the church, and on and on. Uh, In other words, it has expanded far beyond the initial idea of a kind of focus on the clerical abuse scandals to become a a sounding board, if you like, a platform for discussing much broader reforms uh, in the church. Now, uh, while that has enjoyed majority support uh, among the participants in the senatal path, there are a number of influential critics right now who are objecting And essentially, their argument is if this was really about recovery from the abuse scandals, why did it take more than a year to even hear abuse survivors uh, in the Senate of the path? Why wasn't that front and center? Uh, And why wasn't attention to the causes, the consequences, and the remedies to the abuse scandal really the heart and soul uh, of this whole thing? Essentially, what these critics are arguing uh, is that there has been a kind of ideological weaponization of the abuse crisis <clears throat> as part of this senatal path to justify relitigating arguments from, really, the Second Vatican Council uh, that many people regarded as long-resolved, long-settled. Now, that is, it, it should be made clear, a minority position— but it is certainly one that is being voiced aggressively at the moment, uh, one that is being listened to in Rome. Remains to be seen what will happen with the recommendations of the German senatal path once they arrive here in the inter- Eternal City. Uh, by the way, if you want full coverage of this controversy, at Crux's own Inez San Martin has a two-part series on it, You will hear the voices of these critics that I am describing. I recommend it. It's on the Crux site, cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. Finally, well, not finally, but next, uh, a controversy looms in the Philippines where uh, President Rodrigo Duterte is now threatening to use police power to shut down Catholic churches during Holy Week. Uh, The Philippines have imposed a new series of measures, Uh, related to attempting to stem the spread of the coronavirus that it bans public gatherings for the next little while. Meanwhile, the church in the Philippines has said that they are going ahead with Holy Week liturgies, although they will limit the number of people who can participate. A spokesperson for the Duterte government recently said if necessary, they will send cops in to shut these churches down. Now, this comes against the backdrop of what has been a long-running civil war Uh, in the Philippines between the Catholic Church and the Duterte government. Duterte is a nationalist populist whose signature policy is an ultra-violent crackdown on the drug trade that so far, according to most estimates, has resulted in about 30,000 extrajudicial killings. That is, killings of suspected drug traffickers and other petty criminals, no legal process, no trial. Uh, just dead in the street. Uh, That has brought vicious condemnation from human rights groups uh, and also from the Catholic Church in the Philippines. Recently, prominent Catholics organized a new political faction to try to challenge the Duterte dynasty in next year's national elections. Uh, The irony here is the Philippines is, by most measures, the most Catholic country on earth. It's the third largest Catholic country on earth after Brazil and Mexico. It has levels of faith and practice that are off the charts. Uh, It is palpably, pervasively, ineradicably Catholic. Uh, And yet a president who is defying the Catholic Church uh, on virtually every front enjoys, well, according to one recent poll, 91% support. How you square, you know, how you put that square peg into the round hole uh, of the Philippines is frankly beyond me. What I would say is Pope Francis just appointed a new Archbishop of Manila uh, to take over from Cardinal Luis Antonio Tagli, who is now here in the Vatican. Uh, that new Archbishop of Manila, I would suggest, faces arguably the most complicated and challenging job description. Of any catholic bishop in the world right now finally of cultures and controversies if you were to google the key terms catholic and controversy for the past week you would come up and if you were to do that in three different languages italian german and english uh, and american english i want to emphasize uh, you would come up with three different results In Italy, you would find the most popular item has to do with uh, the attempt to reopen a church in Potenza, which is in the Campania, the southern part of Italy, that has been closed since 2010 when the body of a 14-year-old girl who had disappeared in 1993 was discovered there. And the question was, how had it been able to remain in the attic of that church for 17 years and never be previously discovered, and church officials claiming no knowledge uh, of how it had gotten there or what had happened. In Germany and Austria, you would find it was the Pope's declaration on same-sex unions and the kind of massive blowback that has generated in German-speaking Catholicism, including a number of bishops disowning it, the German bishops' conference referring to it as a mere opinion and a group of thousands uh, of priests in Austria signing a petition in opposition. And in the United States, you would find that it had to do with a petition with almost 25,000 signatures demanding the resignation of Archbishop Joseph Naumann of Kansas City, Kansas. He's the chair of the US Bishop's pro-life committee because he suggested in media interviews that President Joe Biden should not refer to himself as a devout Catholic and should not receive communion because of his pro-choice policies. Now, here is two points about these three controversies. One, there is always controversy in the Catholic Church. Uh, The Catholic Church is a wildly raucous global family of faith of 1.3 billion people scattered in every nook and cranny of the planet, and some of those Catholics are always upset about something. One of my favorite lines ever written about the Catholic Church comes from the novelist John Sanford, who writes the Lucas Danport series of detective novels. Danport is a Catholic from St. Paul, Minnesota. And at one point, he's trying to explain the difference between Catholics and Pentecostals to a fellow cop. And what Davenport said is, here's the difference. Holy rollers scream about Jesus. Catholics scream about the bishop. And that is what we do. Uh, We are constantly screaming about one thing or another bishops have done. However, what we are screaming about is often dependent upon the culture we come out of. Uh, In Italy, for example, Italian Catholics don't get upset over doctrinal disputes. They don't get upset over new Vatican laws because they have a very relaxed attitude towards law anyway. And if you don't believe that, just try renting a car and driving on Italian streets sometime and see how they approach traffic laws. Laws here are guidelines. They're suggestions. They're not really meant to be taken seriously. Uh, What is taken seriously by Italian Catholics are perceptions of clerical hypocrisy and arrogance. Uh, And so the idea that a diocese in southern Italy would just preemptorily reopen a church without getting approval from the family that lost this 14-year-old girl and the community that still suspects the church was covering it up, that is galling to Italians. Germans and Austrians, on the other hand, do get upset over law. They are one of the world's most legalistic societies. Uh, and so when the Vatican issues a new law, they don't apply the Italian shrug. Oh, uh what they apply uh, is German outrage. Uh, and that's what we're seeing play out uh, in the reaction to the Declaration on Blessing Same-Sex Unions. Finally, in the United States, we are the world's most hyper-political, hyper-partisan society and environment. Uh, and so... Had Archbishop Nauman simply said, Catholic teaching on abortion is primordial, uh, it is extremely important, and that people who do not agree with that teaching are not in communion with the church and should not receive the sacrament of communion, had he left it at that, one doubts that 25,000 people, including a number of prominent Catholics, would have signed a petition demanding his removal. However... When Archbishop Nauman attached the name of President Joe Biden to his argument, he ensured that this would be swept up into the sausage grinder of American hyperpartisanship, uh, generating hyper-outrage uh, among Catholic Democrats and hyper uh, support uh, among Catholic Republicans. I will tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, when Catholics from other parts of the world look in on the United States, they often wonder if there is anything we care about that is not part of the partisan struggle of left v. right, Democrats v. Republicans in American political life. And this most recent controversy is going to do very little to assure them that there isn't something that doesn't figure into those categories. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you for spending part of your Friday with us or whenever you are watching this. I wanna remind you full coverage of all of this is on the Crux site, cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com. Please give us a like, give us a share, go forth and make disciples of all the nations. We will see one another next Friday, which of course will be Good Friday and we will mark it together in the meantime. Stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week, and we will talk to you again soon.